Hi, I'm Tracy Koga, and thanks for downloading this podcast from ilikehugh.com. If you can, give us a follow or subscribe. And remember that all the information about the guests in today's episode can be found at ilikehugh.com. Now, let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Hue virtual chat. Well, I can actually say officially my dad is vaccinated. So I am so happy. <laughs> um, you know, that seems to be like the biggest conversation going around town. But um, there's so many, so many other things happening. And uh, I want to welcome all of you. Kirsten, thank you representing Robin and Charlotte today. Yeah. Thanks for coming. Amy, so good to see you. And Maureen too as well. And thank you, Tina, for coming. There's going to be, oh, there's Linda. Oh my goodness, I love your earrings, Linda. Yeah. <laughs> oh, they're so good. I have to describe them too because we're doing a podcast too. They're, are they red? They're just long and dangly and they look great. No, they're like a coral. Like oh, okay. They are matching my nails. Oh, your oh. nails. Hey, well, I was inspired by your lavender nails, so I've got lavender. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I am going to actually um, start a little bit heavy, and I think we'll come back to it, and then we'll get into some light music stuff um, with my good friend Maureen. And But right now, I know that, Tina, you have to leave, but there has been so much uh, ugliness, best way to describe it, and again, just on Monday, some more shootings. Um, and so I really want to talk uh, about though the racism that's out there, and especially towards the Asian communities. And then again, too, there were some instances people have come forward now and talking about it. Um, and I guess, Tina, my thing is to, just as the Asian culture um, and talking about mental health and stress and everything, we don't talk about it, you know, and, and I think it's like we have to change. And how do we do that? Um, and also with respect, because that also is part of the Asian culture, too, is respect for the elders and, and respect for your parents. So, Tina, I guess, you know, explain a little bit on, on I guess, um, this whole racism and, you know, is it xenophobia too? Yeah, thank you for having me again today. And I'm really sorry, everyone, that I have to leave at noon. <laughs> Unfortunately, I have like a standing meeting at noon every Tuesday. So whenever I come to join <laughs> no. you, I have to leave early, which I always wish I could just stay and, you know, be part of the full conversation. Um, but I'm really glad just to, you know, be in this space with all of you and kind of talk through what's going on around around us and you know 
as it's been, you know, not not just this week, but I think, you know, Asian communities have mm -hmm. been feeling the ways that more public displays of racism seem to have, you know, felt like they were could be expressed more openly throughout COVID and have been kind of, you know, responding to that. But you know, as you were saying, Tracy, these aren't new. And I think this is where some of those issues of kind of silence that you were talking about for so long, particularly in the East Asian communities, there's mm -hmm. been a whole kind of practice and intergenerational kind of um, movement to be a so-called model minority to, you know, to keep trying to uplift yourself, to stay quiet, to keep your head down, not to speak out against things. And that, you know, this moment is seeing the shifts, but also the way that in those when voice hasn't been used, the way that racism continues to be part of it. And the shootings in Atlanta, I think have, you know, um, once again, been an impetus, violence, extreme violence seems to be an impetus for bringing kind of, you know, a bit of a magnifying glass onto the issues, but they're, they're again, they're not new. And I think what we're seeing particularly um, with the, you know, those eight murders that um, we're seeing a kind of at the intersection, we're seeing misogyny, we're seeing racism, and we're seeing racial fetishization. Um, and so, you know, when we look at the media and the way it immediately kind of responded and gave voice to a white suspect, a white male suspect, and allowed him to narrate the story and make the women invisible. And even within media, trying to parse out, you know, who was engaged in sex work, who wasn't, um, and trying to clean it up a little bit for us. Who were we going to be comfortable enough talking about this? And I think what we really need to think about are what are the conditions of labor for people? What have they been doing? And how does this whole idea that um, Asian women are somehow a source of contaminating sexuality, that they're a danger to a whiteness? Um, and so we see all of this coming forward. And I think, you know, it's, it's again, it's not a new situation, but it certainly has highlighted where we're at and the kinds of everyday dangers that people kind of encounter or how they're just seen. So yeah, I think I'll just start there and happy to continue <laughs> this conversation with everybody. I mean, what is it like here in our own city? I, I know that there there was a, a woman, you know, that that uh, had terrible things, you know, written on her car and like several times, I mean, had, you know, encounters with this. Um, how do we respond? I, I, you know, and correct me if I'm gonna jump in, ladies. Like, we had talked about this when we see someone being, you know, attacked. Maybe not physically, but verbally. You know, Susie says, you know, you need to be that barrier and step in front. But pure honesty. You know, I would have to judge the whole situation and evaluate that before. I would boldly step forward. So I, I guess what I'm asking all of you is like, you know, is there a solution? What would you do? How would you, you know, dissipate the situation if you were, you know, around someone being confronted? Yeah, and I think, you know, Tracy, there's so much, you know, I think, again, it goes to our own sense of safety. And, you know, mm -hmm. I know in this group, we've talked so much about how, you know, when you occupy a place of privilege, and that's always a kind of, you know, it's always contextual. So there are times when any one of us on here, you know, can be in a position to step in and other times where our own sort of embodied being is puts us in danger as well and makes it more difficult. And, you know, as, as most of you know, I, you know, I teach history at the University of Manitoba. So in my line, my answer is often, you know, we need to learn more and we need to mm -hmm. listen. And I'm, you know, especially in this last week, I've just been reflecting so much on how so few of us have any understanding of the conditions of work in places like massage parlors. What are the conditions of immigration and migration? So what allows people and what are the conditions that mean that people live and work in these spaces and that that is the only way that they kind of experience this country? So how, why, why don't we take the time to learn and think about that kind of labor and that work that's being done? Um, and, you know, how we critically engage even questions of, you know, a lot of a lot of immediate responses were more policing and what we're hearing from the communities is no, no policing, less policing. That's actually part of the source of violence against us. Um, how do we think about protection that's community based? And, you know, I think in Winnipeg, all of these conversations have to also engage us with, you know, with missing and mur murdered Indigenous women and girls. I think mm -hmm. the way that racialized violence and the sexualization of women um, happens. Our city, you know, when we when I look at that case, I think this is not just about the erasure of certain people's bodies, but there is a real kind of, you know, 
it's not the same experience, but there is um, a kind of way that they intersect together. And I think the communities need to work together to begin to think about that. What are the responses and how do we really give community voice rather than continue to kind of allow what is really just a really broad cultural, political and legal framework around racial fetishization to continue to perpetuate our discomfort in talking about the situations because unless we take time to learn about violence, we also are only really able to address the violence in certain realms. And it's, you know, cross country and the most vulnerable are the ones we hear from least. Oh, yeah, no doubt. And I think it was told to me too, and, and it does make sense. Uh, we're human beings, but when we don't understand, it's so easy to go against or, you know, and, or, you know, to get your back up and, and, you know, and <clears throat> maybe that's how racism starts is, you know, just not wanting to understand and just thinking that my way is the best way. Uh, I'm going to go to Amy and oh, welcome. Wait, Ron. Oh, go to Linda. I to answer your question quickly first, Tracy. Yeah. Thank you, Tina, for that great uh, insight. But you had asked a question, Tracy, um, was uh would would yeah. we step speak in up? yeah would we speak up? up yeah and i think tina you made the good point it's uh for coming from a white woman's perspective a position mm -hmm. of privilege i always have to check myself and say why is my discomfort more important than somebody's safety you know mm -hmm. to really examine that is you know and that's often the reason given for not speaking up in mm -hmm. in all sorts of situations i was uncomfortable i didn't know what to say i didn't want to get it wrong um you know i was worried what people would think all of those are uh we we have to reposition those mm -hmm. as less important than somebody's safety and dignity and respect and uh, right. So, mm -hmm. you know, that that was you, you had said the word discomfort, Tina. So that just reminded me I wanted to respond to your question, Tracy. Well, well, thank you. Yes, you're right. Amy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I agree. Tina, Linda. Great question, Tracy. It is a lot of um, discomfort. And I find that um, with the events, I'm, I'm stuck with that, too. Um, I was brought up learning to accept and to work harder than others to get those opportunities. And now I need to unlearn that so I can project bravery in front of my daughter, my family, my community, where we are faced with racism. And we're finally talking about it. And, and I'm hopeful for, for, the, for the future. Like mm -hmm. My heart goes out to all those who do not feel like it's been an even playing field. I haven't been able to respond because it is a lot to process and mm -hmm. I want to gather like my, my thoughts. It's disheartening to hear that there's a Chinese virus. It's disheartening to hear what's going on in the Asian communities around us. It's disheartening to not know what to do. Like I said, my upbringing was based on forging forward to accept and never to compare myself to those who are less fortunate because I have it good. And it didn't dawn on me until the recent events that I recognize that I feel like I don't have a right to speak up because there are others who are being tremendously impacted and who am I to chime in? And there's been topics on cancel culture, accountability, um, microaggressions, reverse racism. And I already have the feeling of being at the bottom of the food chain and if I politely express my feelings, I feel like I won't be heard. I know. And, right? And even like growing up, uh, I thought that dyeing my hair blonde, that did happen. With <laughs> contact lenses, that I would be protected from injustice. I thought brought, um, bring a sandwich or a pizza pop for lunch, that I can be Canadian, but I still get those little comments. Oh, you must be great with numbers. Um, I'm tall. You're, I'm tall for an Asian. Are, are you mixed? You look exotic. Or how Chinese are you? Like, what do you mean? How Chinese am I? I and like I said, I am privileged. Like, my parents did own an established restaurant in the heart of Chinatown, where people didn't call me by my first name. I was known as the Asian dim sum chick wherever I went. 
and they would call it across the room. So regardless of what I do, I am told I am not Canadian. And here's the thing, like when we, 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 we survey people prior to revamping our old restaurants. So many restaurants now adopt an Asian influenced dish. They can charge premium for it. Maybe people are willing to pay $25 or more for a Kung Pao rice bowl that doesn't have the authenticity if you were to order at a local Chinese restaurant. Probably uh, a family restaurant bringing you the flavors from their hometown. If a Chinese restaurant increased their prices, it's perceived as expensive mm -hmm. because Chinese food is already seen as cheap, mm -hmm. undervalued. And that's essentially where we stand. We can't make it a high value item unless it's supported. And same goes with racism. It's something that we need to do together um, to be on an even playing field. Mm, that's just a little tidbit of. <laughs> a little oh my goodness! Life. Oh, Amy, that's what I love you. You just like okay, you've you've made racism like as it is, <laughs> comparing it to a Chinese menu, and that you're so true. Like how many times or whatever they raise it a dollar or whatever, and it's just like highway robbery. And you're going, but then I'll go to X restaurant and pay. Yeah, you're right. $25 for a bowl of rice and some soya sauce in it. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, it, that's, oh my goodness. Anyways, and welcome, Rana. I love that uh, pink sweater. <laughs> oh, you're on mute. <laughs> yeah, you're on uh, mute. Hi. Oh, there you go. You're, now we can hear you. Yes. So what are your thoughts on you know, things that have been happening around us? besides COVID and beside vaccines? <laughs> oh. Yeah, you know, um, uh, so I think, it, I mean, it's a very layered conversation and um, I'm always, I, I'm always in this position where, you know, I'm, I'm never surprised and I kind of feel, you know, do people actually understand that this racism has been happening for for, for, for years and years and years. Um, and, you know, I guess on the positive end, you know, I'm, I'm happy that this is now becoming in the forefront and people are like the general public uh, is able to see what, uh, you know, what Asian, East Indian, Arab, um, you know, I know that there was a, a issue in, in Calgary yesterday where a girl got ripped to her hijab got ripped off and she got beaten up because she was like whatever so this stuff is happening like it's it's really happening and i think it's really positive that people now general public is talking about it but but i just i i i get kind of iffy and a little alarmed that people are so surprised about it i was somewhere last night and they were like well i didn't know that would possibly ever happen i'm like are you joking like what world are you living in just because now it becomes mainstream it does not mean that this is suddenly a new issue and i think that is really important to for, for us to clarify. It's becoming public. I think that there are issues with reporting acts mm -hmm. of racism, mm -hmm. uh, specifically in different cultures and different in different groups of people. I know a lot of Muslim people will not actually report uh, when something is happening to them or they're, they're facing a hate crime. Uh, Amy said a really positive thing or a really important thing. And I know that uh, there's a there's a restaurant in, in Winnipeg uh, that serves you know, East India food, and I know they're dealing with the same issue that, you know, you can go to any other restaurant, basically, and they can put a premium on something that is basically you have built from scratch from your own stories and your own history, you know, like we all carry uh, certain recipes and stuff like that throughout our throughout our world. Um, and if you go to them, you know, they're, they're they literally face the same issue, right. So it's a really sad state of events, but my main point is this isn't something new at all. Uh, I think to act like it is something new or to go sit for me to sit in a, in a group of people and for them to be alarmed that this is happening. I think it's kind of icky. Like, let's be let's be realistic. If we're starting to have these conversations uh, about race, about racism, about um, attacks on different people, let's be honest about the history of it. Let's be honest about how and when or the different ways it has been occurring. Um, I think language is very powerful as well. And uh, just to Amy's point, I think, um, you know, I, I was listening to something last night 
And I actually wrote to one of my friends, I wrote him an email and I was just like, this is so crazy because I, I recognize language. Like I know that there's certain words in certain languages that don't actually exist in English. Right. And I, um, I, you know, I think that anyone who comes from a, from a different world or different, different language, we recognize that, but <clears throat> I just want to relate the language to, to the, to, to the racism and the violence, right? Like those violent acts of racism, you know, the English language, um, it, if you really think about it, uh, it is rooted in many ways in violence, right? So, you know, violence and misogyny and like these, these issues, like, uh, I, I was listening to this, this, this podcast and I read this article, this woman wrote, and I can't remember her name and I wish I could give her credit for this, but she was talking about, you know, um, when people would just say like, when, you know, a guy will be like, oh, I begged her, you nailed it. You, they, they use very violent terms um, to almost in a celebratory way, right? Um, and I think that, so all of these things are interconnected, right? And I think that, you know, for, for, for racial issues and for, for violence, and I'm only thinking about violence because of that Calgary attack, actually. That's mm -hmm. what's kind of in my mind right now is this girl getting beaten the shit out of for wearing a hijab. Um, but yeah, so I just think that everything's interconnected. Uh, and if I was going to leave with one thing, because I'm going to jump off pretty quick today, um, it's really, you know, can we just be honest about <laughs> this isn't something new. Like, can we just, can we just have that conversation and stop pretending? Like, can I go and sit with a group of people and then being like, well, I've never dealt with that. I've never seen that. I couldn't believe that. What? Like what? You know, just because you don't hear about it doesn't mean it's not happening, you know? Um, and to the people who are facing it, uh, no matter, regardless of what you are, I mean, for me, uh, you know, always in solidarity with our Asian, with, with the Asian community and whoever's dealing with these issues, you know, 100%. Um, but, but let's not be afraid. Some of the power is in reporting. Like, let's get the information out there, right? Like, when you're facing with it, I think that people get really scared. And I've talked to a few people just like this past week about some of these things. And there's a lot of fear in making it known. Like, there's a lot of fear in having those conversations, unless it's so violent that you actually have to seek medical help right the, the the girl walking down the street being called names she's not actually she's going to really hold it in but she's not going to go actually report it right she's not going to go and make it known as a statistic or a, or a number or what's actually happening in the city and i think a really good part of it a really important part of it so people the general public can know what's actually happening uh is let's start having those really open honest unfiltered conversations you know it we, stop tiptoeing around it Stop trying to, you know, not offend people. There's a point in time where there's groups who have been oppressed for generations. We have the right to offend people. <laughs> like, you know, and uh, my, my, our problem is not your offense. Like, I don't really care about your offense. Right now, I think the, the, the goal should be safety, uh, security, making people feel like they are belonged, making feel like people feel like they can walk down the street and not be called the coronavirus or whatever, you know, like these, these BS terms that are being that are being used um and so for me i'm always on that end i'm kind of a no bullshit kind of person i'm just done with it i think that we just need to flip switch a bit let's start talking about things openly honesty uh let's start building bridges amongst communities amongst groups of people you know what i mean uh you know i don't speak for every muslim community but i definitely speak for me and my family you know i'm in complete solidarity with the chinese community or any asian community that is dealing with any racism like let's wake up and if you want a better world tomorrow to be honest for children who are much more uh they have much more access to information and their tomorrow is going to look very different than ours looks right now let's just stop the tiptoeing around issues blunt open have very honest conversations this is not something new it's been happening for years let's just break it break it and if we have to start fresh let's do that that's my five minutes <laughs> of time and I apologize for having to jump off soon that's but, okay but, you know, i'm just i'm like everybody else you know like we're just kind of all holding it in like just being mm -hmm. like well what do you even say at this point right no um it is it is across the board so it's kind of gross no so well, it's nice, though, that we can have these conversations. So I just want to quickly, because I know Tina and then I guess Ronnie have to leave. So it was really weird. I was with my father just before 
racing here back home to, to do the show um, at a doctor's appointment. And uh, we hopped on an elevator. We wanted to go down. The elevators are very slow, so we hopped on the one it was going up, and there was one gentleman, white gentleman. I'm with my elderly dad, and so, you know, I get him in there, and I, I, and I, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but I, seriously, you could cut that tension with a knife. I felt, so I made kind of a joke. I said, oh, we're just coming along for a ride. I know that it'll go, and he kind of looked, and, he, and, and I said, don't worry, it'll go to your floor first, so. Um, and I said, yeah, the elevators are really slow, and kind of, you know, laughed, but not a word from him nothing and so it's that's why you know it was so nice it's so nice to be ha be able to have that conversation <laughs> because you know what I you know normally I would never feel anything nothing but just really a, a very very peculiar silence and it's sad so anyways I guess by talking, and before Tina leaves, what can we do for the as a community as a whole? I know we're having conversations, and I don't know. Maybe let's. Inv I would love more people to come in, uh, women to come in, especially and come into these conversations. But um, what can you specifically? Number one, have that th family conversation. I don't know. I, you know, for me, I think it's, you know, it is, it's the conversations. I think as Rana says, it's actually, you know, you know, being open and asking people if they, if those who say they've never, this seems new or mm -hmm. they've never seen it or they haven't experienced it to actually say, well, what, what privilege allows you to have not seen how racism operates every day in every encounter. And it's everything from Amy saying where they're like, oh, there's the dim sum check, right? Like, what do they mean by that? Or any of these kinds of ways. So what is it that allows you to have a buffer around, you know, seeing racism mm -hmm. and microaggressions and real violence in various ways? And, you know, just because, you know, the Atlanta events are so on top of my mind and, you know, in their relationship to Winnipeg, asking ourselves, like, what is it also, you know, that allows us to think that people in different socioeconomic conditions who live differently, that we, that their lives are less valuable so that we want, who do we think we should listen to? And I think in this moment, we really have to push ourselves to say, we also have to disrupt all our ideas about, you know, who is respectable and who isn't and who we should listen to and understand that these are all part of systemic racism. They're the way that misogyny, sexism, um, you know, all come together and that we have to actually, you know, push ourselves to listen and look around the world differently, but, and to ask not, I think not just everybody else, but you know, I think all of these, all of ourselves asking, where's our own privilege? And so what, what are, what do we see and not see? And, you know, what do we have to do differently if we're gonna really, um, you know, provide space for voices and address violence? Yeah, no doubt. Well, you know what? And you said it too before, Tina. We have to start learning about other people, other cultures. Um, we really do. And I mean, Maureen's sitting there. I mean, yes, she, she, she's with the Human Rights Museum. And, you know, it, it, that can be such a great gathering place, I think, Maureen, for, for communities. And I think, too, it's like a, um, we need to have a safe place, too, as well. Um, but maybe one day, yes, Rana. You know, you can walk into that conversation and people will get it, right? And I think that's what you're saying is just, you know, and I, and I realize and that makes you, what does that make you? Yeah, like you're sitting there and you're kind of pretending, right? And um, it eats away at you. So. Um, so anyways, I know that Tina, thank you so much. Uh, let's continue this conversation. I would love uh, some of your friends, you know, to come in this because this conversation isn't going to go away anytime soon. And I would, I, you know what, I would love to learn more about the massage parlors and all of that and, you know, and to really understand what, you know, what is going wrong, what is going right, and how we can all kind of come to some sort of uh, cohesive kind of, I don't know what you would call it, but an understanding, a respect, because that's all certainly very lacking. And we're all, you know, we all have our role to play. So thank you so much. So now, on a lighter note, 
<laughs> Drum roll, please. Can I, can I? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go, go, I was go. Yes. Weigh in quickly because yeah, yeah. I absolutely love. I love everything that's being put forth and 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 the insight and um, perspectives. I love the conversation that you talked about, Rana, about having the hard conversations. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm going to not swear because Robin would swear, but I'm not going <laughs> to swear. But just calling it right, like, 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 just like calling it, and not being afraid to have. Um, those uncomfortable conversations and also being in a place where you're completely vulnerable and as somebody that, you know, is, is, is white and, and privileged and very um, appearance-wise screams that, um, putting yourself in a place where, where you ask what that looks like for somebody and you uh, unlayer things and you uh, aren't afraid of um, uh, offending because um, you don't want to say the wrong thing. So just say it. Um, so I love the fact that you said that, and it's time we start having a lot more conversation. And then Tina was also talking about, um, you know, the change comes from the community. Uh, Tracy, you brought up like, like, you know, is there more policing required? What's required? It, it's the community and the conversation in the community that's going to foster the change. Um, and, and being vulnerable and putting myself out there. I'll do it right now and I'll tell you the conversation we had and I don't know a whole lot about the shooting except for the kind of cold notes but sitting with my adult children last night my husband um, my daughter was bringing it up and she and talk about our biases coming up because she's like okay so let's play a little game before we learn more uh, mm -hmm. who do you think it is white male overweight lives alone nicest guy on the street like we were so there's our biases right like we were we were playing this game of Oh Wayne, here it comes, and then we we um, looked a little bit more, and we were. I hate to say it, but anyways, so there there's. I have to get my biases in check because that's exactly where my head went, right? Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, I just I just wanted to share that, and also my heart goes out to um, the entire community. Um, uh, heartbreaking and talking about um, when we don't understand, like when we don't understand when Tina was talking about how people work and live. I, just to survive and put food on the table and the lack of options that certain um, communities have, uh, newcomers to, mm -hmm. to Canada trying to um, survive. Um, when we don't understand, it, it's so easy to pass judgment. And I see that in the mental health world, working with families all the time, um, lack of understanding, um, judgment. And we, we, need to, we, need to understand, um, we need to understand before we speak and we need to um, stop with assumptions. Yeah, <laughs> that's just mm -hmm. my my way in on that subject. <laughs> no, that those are all so true. Thank you, Kirsten. And I mean, yeah, the the mental health issue is is critical. But uh, I want to kind of move on, kind of switch gears because I asked Maureen to join us today, and she's got a different hat on. I would see her name in the news all the time in these little stories, and they were awesome stories. It's all about bringing music back to school, so it is the school bands. And, you know, it took, like, a group of parents. Am I correct, uh, Maureen, that uh, actually sounded the horn? Sorry, sorry about the pound. <laughs> I, I think we as parents did have a big role. Just before we leave the previous topic, yeah. though, I just wanted to yeah. tell you that an email has just crossed my desk in my professional capacity, <laughs> alerting people that this Saturday uh, there is going to be a, a honkathon rally um, <laughs> in response to the Atlanta shooting. It's being organized by collective community members from the local Chinese community. Oh. And um, again, it's just trying to grab attention and raise awareness. And I agree that the whole issue uh, revolves around making sure that we're having conversations and noticing because I think the Atlanta shooting made it all too clear how you can dismiss racism, fail to recognize racism. There's so much talk about was it racist or wasn't it racist? And I agree with Tina that we see that same issue happening here with uh, Asian communities and also with Indigenous communities and especially with women, right, who mm -hmm. are the most vulnerable often. And so if you are um, a sex worker, um, you're further disadvantaged because you're exploited potentially by, um, by men or primarily men who are running those kinds of things. So it's all layered. I think I heard yeah. Rana say, say layered. 
So um, I really like it, the fact that, and even on a personal level, I mean, I had had since high school a friend whose mother, you know, father is of East Indian descent and never thought anything of it. But only recently in response to all the Black Lives Matter and everything has she's told me that she's experienced racism in her life. And I feel sad that I didn't know that. And I think it's up to um, people who have white privilege to ask their friends and acquaintances uh, about whether or not they've experienced mm -hmm. uh, racism. Because I don't think it's fair to expect them to raise it. I think it's, it's, I think it's uh, the responsibility of the people on your side or the allies. Yeah. So that's that. <laughs> and, and so this is a very happy story because yes. I think it shows that you can have things happen um, as parents. Um, so I first want to talk about band kids because I think you may, anyone who's got kids in band or knows about band or even the stereotype of band kids and every stereotype, <laughs> there's a grain of truth, right? So <laughs> a lot of them are not sort of your most popular kids they're not the jocks they're not the ones who go out and have big parties they they get all of their their validation I guess and their sense of belonging and their feelings of self-esteem and their socialized from band a lot of them that's their family that's where they have a community and they belong so when band stopped and the wind instruments weren't playing anymore it didn't just end their musical development and a chance to play music. It ended, for some of them, everything. And with my son, who was shy and tended just to hang around his base in his bedroom a lot, band brought him a whole group of friends. He was coming out of his shell. He was going on trips. He was going out with friends. And then that all ended back into the room. So this started with a parent from Vincent Massey High School, actually, who felt similarly, same issue with her daughter. And mm -hmm. she started agitating, collecting up names of parents. And we got our band teachers sort of uh, asked us if we wanted to join this group. And then they backed out because they couldn't be involved. And what we found out through the Manitoba Band Association is there's really no reason for the kids not to be playing wind instruments. That the research that's been going on considerably in the United States is showing things like tuba, which my son plays, projects aerosols no more than breathing, actually less than breathing. Um, that uh, most instruments in a band project about the same as speaking. And only the trumpet and a couple of other ones project a little bit farther. So they'd be like talking or shouting, Sorry. I should say. Um, and, and then a lot of other research into when you take mitigation measures like bell covers over the instruments and other things that there's really the risk has come down to very minimal. And actually the big risk is just going to school in the first place. That's your yeah. risk, right? So actually playing in bands, socially distanced with bell covers on, nice ventilated room, uh, very little risk, but it wasn't happening. Meanwhile, my kid's doing volleyball in gym class with masks <laughs> on, so that drives me crazy. So we started agitating, right? We wrote letters to the province, and um, because I have, uh, my career is in media relations, I started reaching out to media. We managed to get coverage on the front page of the free press. We got on CTV and Global. We got CGOB, and... And then at the same time, coincidentally, the Manitoba Music Educators Association, so the band teachers sort of represented us, were talking behind the scenes with the province as well. So uh, I think it was a week ago Friday, suddenly the province comes out with a bulletin, and this was only three weeks after we started our lobbying efforts, that they're lifting the restrictions on indoor wind instruments in schools. <laughs> so my kids started playing in band a few days ago, and we're like, thrilled because he's in grade 12 this would have been his last chance to play mm -hmm. um they haven't played for over a year now in any band ever oh, and when wow. that's what you do and that's your passion in life can you imagine like it's not something you can do on yourself so we're so thrilled oh wow and then yeah. so and you obviously have seen a difference in him now since he's joined the band again yes and in fact uh on saturday night he went out with some friends <laughs> from <laughs> Actually, there was friends from grade 12 last year, but band friends, right? So yeah. it's just sort of re-engaged the whole interest in, in everything. Wow. Um, so so really, really great. And, and the band teachers were worried because enrollment in band for next year was looking very 
risky because if your kids just aren't playing a band, lose that interest in band, they've got other options, right? And then mm-hmm. they don't even know if they're going to be playing in the fall. Why are they going to pick band over yeah. art or whatever else they could be taking? Um, so that that was a, a problem too. And, and in Pemina Trail School Division, where, where I am, they've got a, such an amazingly good reputation for music excellence. Like some of the bands in the high schools there are symphony orchestras are unreal and so you don't want to lose that. No. How's it been like I guess for going back into schools and stuff like that for your son? I mean was it and how did you feel too? Fine and in fact there's I think very very early in the pandemic when they first started going back there was like one case we heard about nothing ever really came of it haven't heard anything since then he's not scared they they go every second day and they they sort of try their best to do all the all the things that you need to do to stay apart but you know what they're walking in the halls they're young they're Mm -hmm. like I said they're doing gym class and still nothing's happening so I don't know like I think the danger is that the kids have it and just aren't having any symptoms and then can still be you know infect older people because of that but what if they do are all have it and have no symptoms? That's good because maybe that's going to make them immune into the future, right? So I think that's all a positive sign. How's it? How's school been for for Amy? Amy for your daughter? She so far, I, I think good. No cases. <laughs> um, I mean, it's different. She finds that it's boring, even when she, we enroll for in um, gymnastics in mm-hmm. the fall which they had to cancel. She didn't like it as much because there was like adjustments. There was things that they couldn't do. And she mm-hmm. found it like it, it was boring. She's like, I would rather not take it this year. But then they just, um, they, they canceled it. So activities, super, super important. Mm-hmm. I know I was a band kid and <laughs> I would, <laughs> yeah, I would skip other classes too, <laughs> to, to practice a little bit more. <laughs> what instrument did you feeling. play? What is- I I played the French horn and then I went to the clarinet. Oh my God, those are tough instruments. <laughs> yeah, like a lot of kids that are in band, just yeah, they they don't even care about going to school anymore. That's the only thing they look forward to at school, even if they do well at school. It's but speaking of boring, yeah, you know what they're doing before they could play instruments was they were drumming on plastic pails and playing ukuleles, which is something. The band teachers have to think of something, but. Like drumming, when when you're used to playing Shostakovich in <laughs> band, and then you're just drumming on a plastic pail, like can you imagine? You're doing playing Wipeout, Linda. How have your girls adjusted? I know it's it seems like a long time, but how have they adjusted? That's such a great question. <laughs> uh, uh, well, um, I'd say my oldest adjusted very well right off the the bat Mm -hmm. she she's like she's a self-learner so she's she's she could teach anyone here time management and productivity lessons like she's so so focused i've always been admiring of that in her my youngest last term fell through the cracks did not it was not (laughs) it was a challenge um and uh I think for her, she's um, she's very extroverted, and she could not. She's the type of kid who, sitting in class, she would have been talking to her buddy and miss what the teacher said, and then has to ask the teacher, and then has to ask another friend for the, you know, what did he say? You know, like so, to take a kid like that at home, trying to manage what she was supposed to do, it was not not happening so it took some like real real effort on my part to get things back on track for this term so thankfully the school was really good and when I contacted the school um uh Kelvin they were they were just so supportive and they were like you have no idea how many kids are struggling this way they were Mm -hmm. like this is cross the board a very common thing kids can't focus they're depressed they're you know they're really um they're really struggling with meaning like what you were saying maureen like when you remove that uh that meaning and we forget
forget sometimes how crucial that development phase of teenage life connecting to your peers is. Mm-hmm. They don't want to be connecting yeah. with me. Like, unless I'm driving them to buy Starbucks, like they, they do not, they're not interested in me, you know? That's and- exactly it. It's what's the point? It was what's the point of even practicing, the even though I'm an excellent yeah. musician. Why should I practice? I'm not going to be there. Even his university friends and first year university mm-hmm. who were like, one was a, a flute major in wind ensemble. Yeah, I don't even yeah. feel like practicing. Why should a lot I? of that. What's the point? And, and they're already struggling with that anyways, this generation, right? Who asked the then, why should I, what could, how, what could it motivate me in this? this makes of course. So, you know, I mean, this, this show is always uh, an emphasis on mental health. And I think, you know, Kirsten, you guys always speak so, so strongly on the peer support and, you know, I see that in my my kids for sure, that, that when you removed that peer support, uh, it, it was very quickly impacting mental health. So, you know, I think that uh, that's, that's a piece that, you know, I really learned myself that uh, it's so important to facilitate that for them um, and for myself, you know, like, yeah. I mean, this, this isn't a great, peer support thing for me to hear what everyone's dealing with and you know to feel like you're not alone to feel like your struggles are seen and heard and um i think that's you know getting back to what we started talking about at the beginning about racism um you know having these kind of uh platforms um i'd love to see i'd love to see this platform uh you know it's so so great for all of us but I, I I know you feel this Tracy like how do you reach more people mm-hmm. how do you get more people involved in this dialogue and um and workshopping these ideas you know and feeling that you know that support that you can speak uncomfortable things say you know like as Raina was saying you know like let's just talk about it how do we get more people involved? That's that's something that I would love to see. And, uh, you know, I was going to ask everyone what they thought of the slogan for the city's uh, anti-racism week, because we started yesterday, I believe, right? Yeah. And I know, Amy, you've been posting about the anti-racism week. Uh, what is it? Um, can you imagine our city without racism? I thought, what, what does everyone, what, what, what were everyone's thoughts about, about that? Well, I mean, that's a big, it's a big loaded question. And uh, we did the kickoff video for it. And it was really interesting listening to the speakers. Um, but more importantly, there was a grade 12 student from Brandon, Alexis, who spoke so openly about her vivid memory of at 14 going away to camp and she uh, on one day was not feeling well so she stayed back and when the rest of the girls came back um, she found uh, was told that one of the girls called and uh, using her words that uh, indigenous people maybe not using the word indigenous but were dirty and alcoholics like just very derogatory and she said you know what she didn't think much of it but she said I never forgot those words and she is just now speaking about this and speaking out um, but it was yeah it, it just it those kind of stories really make you stop and think um, and you know I think maybe a first lesson is actually stopping and thinking about something before you say anything um, and that's, you know, where you go down that slippery slope. But, um, yeah, it was just, she spoke very, very well. And it, it, uh, it resonated with her. It, uh, you know, definitely probably caused her pain. But she's um, now speaking out and she leaves that message for more young people to come forward with their stories. So, and she found out too that, she wasn't alone, but unfortunately, it takes experiences like that, right? That uh, can do a lot of damage, especially to young people. Um, but yeah, so 
I think maybe that's the first step, right? Is stopping and thinking and listening. But yeah, there's, there's a lot of work to do, <laughs> for sure. What about you, Amy? No, I agree. I think um, <laughs> there's, a lot, there's a lot of work. It takes a lot of um, listening, compassion, empathy, um, just wanting to learn. I think it starts with us knowing um, mm -hmm. what we can do and being speaking up about it and not not being afraid to do so yeah right like i said before there's these limiting beliefs that's really hindering my progress and i'm learning because i want to be a role model for Alyssa, right like mm -hmm. how am i going to have these conversations one day with her if she was to bring it up that oh this happened to me I'm like oh well just accept it and that's not the way to go right yeah, well, it takes the school as well. But again, like the school, we, we don't touch on those subjects. It's not a subject. We talk about math, uh, social studies, <laughs> English. We don't talk about kindness. We don't talk about compassion. We don't talk about um, cultures, right? Yeah. There's Rama, which we do really, really great at embracing like the different cultures, but within the school, how they're being brought up, where they're there eight hours a day, none of it. And sometimes when they're being bullied, it's not even really properly addressed. No, no. Kristen, you want to try? Yeah, in? I totally agree with you, Amy. It's it's amazing the things that you do learn um, or, or children do learn in school and what's required and considered essential and the lack of what they learn in school and is not addressed. I, I find that absolutely shocking. Um, I would love to rewrite the health curriculum um, and have a huge piece of uh, uh, mental health and um, you know something like skills-based for managing emotions, like a DBT type something. Um, but having said that, I have huge faith in this younger generation. Um, my, my oldest daughter, who's 23, was, was such um, a driving force when she went to Vincent Massey. And um, she was very involved in social justice. And um, because of her work um, on her graduating year, she actually got awarded um, outstanding youth role model um, by um, with four others in uh, the city by the mayor. And, um, and, and she wasn't the volleyball player or the jock. Um, she she fell in with the band kids, right? That was her and the social justice, and that was the go block. nerds go. <laughs> oh, I you know she's like so much cooler than I am. And uh, but um, what I wanted to touch on also is when you're telling that story, Tracy, about this this um, young woman who spoke about her first or a, a solid memory that she has mm -hmm. of racism. I mean, when you think of hearing words like that as an adult. Um, how hurtful they are, and we have this life experience that we're actually equipped to, somewhat equipped to, mm -hmm. to manage uh, and navigate, like like a verbal assault or hearing something hurtful. Um, and then you take these kids that don't have that wealth of life experience, and um, not only do they have to to navigate hurtful words like that, but they're also going back to this online learning right now and what Linda was talking about, her her two daughters, and I have two daughters that are so different, uh, somewhat the same, but like so different. Um, you know, I just feel for those kids that are, are there's very, I'm not gonna say very few, but there's a segment of students that are actually uh, doing just fine and some perhaps even thriving with this online learning. And then there's other kids with this isolation that, um, you know, not only is their learning suffering, their mental health is suffering huge. Mm -hmm. um, and they don't have the depth of experience and they're lacking connection. And I, I just can't wait for things to progress so we can get these kids back in school, um, you know, hopefully in a, in a typical, more normal way. Um, I'm kind of rambling on here, but... Uh, no, uh, yeah, I, I feel I'm so impressed by the, our younger generation and right now my heart breaks. And I hope the change comes with that. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Maureen? 
Well, yeah, I think that's it. I think they are really active, but they need a purpose back to what Linda was saying again, right? So you've got to channel that energy to something and when there's nothing. And so hanging out in the house is all fine and good. Not if you don't have a good household environment. Can you imagine if you're in an abusive abusive domestic situation Mm -hmm. on top of everything else? Um, And it doesn't have to be physically abusive, right? Mental abuse is often worse in some ways. But and then to be denied that interaction with, with your social. Like when I was young as a kid, I only wanted to be with my friends. I did not ever want to be with my parents. Um, sometimes I think this generation is a little different that way. Mm-hmm. But still, like, it's weird to have my two grown-up kids, 17, almost 18, and 23, hanging around in the house with us 24 <laughs> Like, that's not good for them, is it? <laughs> It's not good for you. (laughs) Well, I actually don't mind. But, uh, well, sometimes I do, but I usually like it. uh. Yeah. Well, and I guess that's a whole other conversation. Um, When when Amy was talking about things like empathy and all of that not being taught in school, and now with this new bill and doing away with all of the different school boards and everything and having just one school division... I don't know about only one, but maybe then that's the way, well, it was proof in the pudding with what uh, Maureen and the parents did with, the, with their school bands. Maybe, you know, we need to have conversations with the, you know, your MLA or whoever in, in your constituency about what you would like to be taught. Like, what, what is the new curriculum? Because it definitely needs to change. We're in the 21st century now, and we all know that um, you know, there needs to be more Indigenous stories being told. And let's bring in the cultural stories then, too, because we are multicultural. Folkorama has 52 different uh, cultural places to go to, so obviously there is at least 52 different communities, cultural communities out there with lots of stories. And then maybe that would start the conversations that we are, the, the Rana conversations that she wants. Um, and that, you know, I think too, um, my heart goes out to Alexis's parents, this seven, uh, 17-year-old who probably didn't know how to address what their little girl came home from summer camp that was supposed to be all fun, um, you know. And I think those are some of the things, those hard conversations as a parent to give us the tools, right, on how to address those feelings um, and to address those situations that your children come home crying or feeling bad about because they're ultimately going to feel bad about themselves first right so I would and maybe Linda what what do you think Winnipeg would look like without racism (laughs) well I think Kirsten you need to get on rewriting the uh the health (laughs) curriculum I think that's a good start Amy you're going to get on the empathy part yeah Right. Maureen's going to have the creativity and the music component. Tracy, you're going to have the storytelling. Okay. Right. Yes. We've got it all right here. And no more calculus. Why (laughs) do we need calculus? Through calculus. Why? Um, You know, physics, I can understand a little bit, you know, the laws of gravity or whatever, but calculus? No. Yeah. No, I'm I'm with you on that. Um, And... (laughs) So really, when you think of it, you know, we really do have what we need here. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I think teaching communication should start at such a younger age, you know, and teaching all these things we're talking about, how to speak up when you're feeling fear, you know, how do you speak up when you, you know, when you're uncomfortable teaching empathy um, learning through stories, uh, that, that peer-to-peer support, you know, compassion and, um, you know, all of those things will, would help. And so, you know, when I think of a city without racism, it would look very different, even just, uh, (laughs) yeah, we need to teach mental health, um, (laughs) We do. We need to teach mental wellness. Um, I think the city would look incredibly different. I think, you know, I mean, 
talk you know when Raina was talking about the conversations that we don't have we don't have conversations about the fact that our city is segmented by race in many in many areas um we 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 just accept it as that's the way it is that's the way your street looks like um i think a city without racism would look very different and very um uh much more diverse it would be much richer much you know much um much safer <laughs> it would really be safer so yeah. i love oh i have to, i'm i love this idea linda you said what does your what does your street look like so maybe that's a project for next week's topic what does your street look like mm, yep Maybe, yeah, I mean, don't go knocking on everybody's door, but <laughs> maybe just take a walk down your street and you can, you can tell, you can tell. And what, yeah, what does your street look like? I think it's, that might be an interesting first step, right? Because we yeah. don't, it's very rare now that you get to know your neighbors because, well, I guess maybe it's a little different now because we're not going anywhere. <laughs> and maybe that might be the first once we're all vaccinated, we will open our doors and get to know our neighbors. But um, yeah, that's an interesting thought. <laughs> Write that down. <laughs> well, anyways, um, really great conversation. And uh, yeah, we are not going to solve all the world's problems. And like I always say, we want to meet more women and men out there that you know, want to share their own stories uh, because that's the whole part of the learning process too as well. And Kristen, before, before we wrap up, your words of wisdom, because I'm still feeling that, like for parents out there, and we've talked about this, um, you know, talking about, let, and let's just say uncomfortable conversations. What is like the first thing that as a parent you can do to create that safe and open dialogue with your child oh wow um you know just just kind of turning taking the time and finding the space turning the devices off um mm -hmm. and and sitting that's the first step i think <laughs> and you know so much can happen out of asking your child um what do you mean by that so what does mm -hmm. that look like to you help me understand that like to really kind of go a little deeper and to have those open-ended conversations with um, with your children. Um, and that's where a really interesting in-depth conversation can happen. Um, and one conversation I just want to add that I'm having with families a lot right now because of the online learning, because of the isolation, because of our COVID world, um, throw away the social measuring sticks. Um, you know, everyone's flipping through Facebook and thinking, well, uh, this person's off to college, got a scholarship, graduating, driver's license. I mean, like throw it away. Life uh, can look really beautiful for many people on Facebook and anything you're scrolling. But the reality is um, there's no timeline right now for kids. And um, to approach a child with some compassion and empathy, because it's hard and it's, it's different right now and not to, um, not to panic about uh, the social measuring stick and what uh, the neighbor next door is doing. Like it, it's just different and, and uh, give them that grace with a whole lot of awesome conversation and connection and the world will be perfect. No, <laughs> but but um, yeah, everybody's panicking. Parents yeah. I'm hearing are panicking and, and adding more pressure and, and more chaos to the house. And I mean, Everybody needs to take back, uh, take take a step back, pause, and realize there's a there's no race happening right now. It's just a different world. Yeah, so true. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks so much. Those are words of wisdom. Yeah, and definitely, yeah, get rid of the devices that we're yeah. all so glued to. Anyways, well, it's Tuesday. March is almost gone. This is like, has this? Where has this month gone? Really? Yeah, it, it's crazie. Bob, Maureen's yeah, going bye-bye. Yeah, good bye, riddance, bye. March. You like March. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much, ladies, for joining in the conversation. And, yes, uh, take a walk down your street and see what your street looks like. And uh, we'll get your reports next week. Great thank to see you. you. Great to see you guys.
Have a good Thanks, week. Tracy. Yes, bye-bye. Thanks, Tracy. Bye-bye. For listening. This has been a production of iLikeQ.com. Podcast distribution from the Sound Off Media Company. I'm Jeff Woods and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people, he, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all had. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast, heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from jeffwoodsradio.com. Hi, this is Candace Sampson, the voice behind What She Said. My show is your destination for stories that not only entertain, but also educate and empower. Every week, I spotlight strong female voices from across Canada, women who are changing the narrative and driving change. Don't miss out on these inspiring episodes. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon Music, or head over to whatshesaidtalk.com. What She Said can also be heard on BlastTheRadio.com, Mondays at 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. That's BlastTheRadio.com. It's time to dive into the stories that truly matter. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.